There's a shortage of people qualified to work in cybersecurity, and we need to do something about that. But what is that something? And let's be honest here, we're not going to change that situation overnight. It takes years to acquire the kind of skills needed to pursue the education, the experience, and the credentials required. But what can we do in the meantime? We've said it before on Code Red, we're all involved in security, to one degree or another. What can we do to effectively raise awareness and change behavior? This episode's guest offers some insights. While at our annual conference in Orlando, I had the pleasure of sitting down to discuss these and other issues with Servio Medina, COO of the Cybersecurity Policy Branch at the U.S. Defense Health Agency. Servio sees opportunities in changing the way we think about educating each other in this field and discusses burnout, math, lifestyles, and other topics, and how they relate to cyber education. And after listening to this episode, the phrase, it makes sense to me, will take on a whole new dimension. All that and more coming up. Intrusion detected. Code red. Servio Medina is COO of the Cybersecurity Policy Branch at the Defense Health Agency, also known as DHA in short. Servio, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Ron. So uh, there are probably a thousand different topics that we could talk to you about, but uh, we're going to start with this today. How, how do you balance the ambiguity of the people component of cybersecurity against the highly structured world of mathematics and standards? Well, I think that's an interesting question and a contrast to draw. I used to teach college-level mathematics for 10 years. And one thing that was clear is majority of students that took the mathematics classes were doing so not out of choice, but because somebody required them to do so. And the balance we can draw between the, math, the world of mathematics and the students that are taking it is with the employees who are required to take cybersecurity training. Most people, if you ask them, they are not keen to take the cybersecurity training. It's something that's imposed upon them as a condition of network access. And in fact, for most, they see it as a, as a hindrance to their job. They pause the important work they're doing to complete the training. So I think the relationship we can look at between cybersecurity and the human element is with students that are taking math classes. It may be that we're not really approaching the, the teaching of mathematics in a way that draws their attention and helps them to retain the concepts later. I'll be honest, in 20 years, I have not taken a differential or, or a derivative, but the concepts that I learned and how to approach solving math problems, those I've retained. And in a similar fashion, we want people to retain concepts of cybersecurity. I don't, I don't expect them to be cybersecurity savvy, but when they're using their computers on a daily basis, when they're accessing medical information regularly, they should have some maturity that there are some requirements that they should adhere to. And I think that's where the two worlds, the structure of mathematics and the structure of the black and white requirements of cybersecurity, that's where there's a, perhaps a strong relationship. 
So are you, you making uh, uh, the difference here is between uh, what people encounter every day and thinking about security and the conditions that might, the way they might contribute to creating a secure environment versus the nuts and bolts underneath the hood on the technology side? Is that kind of what you're getting at here? Uh, somewhat, um, but I'll, I'll pause there for a moment because... Um, I think his name is Dr. Mike. I don't remember his last name, but he's uh, one of the officials of HIMSS, and he gave the opening comments, and then he introduced the keynote speaker, uh, Jenny Rometty. And he reminded us that um, clinicians are experiencing burnout, and there's too much paperwork that's needed, and we have to somehow reduce the amount of record-keeping to make it less burdensome. And as a recovering educator, I'm somewhat sensitive to that. Uh, Ten years ago, I would have, if you would have asked me this question then, I would have said everybody should have a certain proficiency in cybersecurity. Why? Because we're working, all of us, in a cyber domain. I think it's not necessarily fair to expect people who have full-time jobs, who are experiencing decision fatigue between 2 and 3 p.m., to be as savvy in cybersecurity as we have come to want. That we need to make cybersecurity a little easier. Now, I'm not obviating people from having cybersecurity awareness, but we have to make it a little easier through the use of technology and through the use of not just one year of, I'm sorry, one hour of training per year, but we have to do something that's a little more innovative to reach individuals so they can be mindful of good cyber hygiene. Within the current cybersecurity training, um, what do you see that kind of leads to you know, human-driven errors? And, and how, can we, how can we teach it better? You, you're talking, in my mind, you're talking about being more innovative in the way we teach this. What kind of ideas would you share? One thing, um, it's sometimes helpful to draw an analogy when you're driving down the highway and you see your speed displayed on the side of the road, what is something that you're likely to do when you see your speed displayed? You're going to slow down. The National Highway Traffic Safety Agency has conducted multiple studies and it's an 80% likelihood that you will slow down. Is it because you didn't realize you were speeding? Is it because of a concern of getting a speeding ticket? There is an analogy here because This is human behavior that can be influenced to not speed while driving, which is considered risky behavior. So instead of relying solely upon one hour of cybersecurity training a year, what are we doing to provide effective reminders throughout the year? And I'm not, we have posters on the wall. And if you leave the same poster on the wall, after a few days, it winds up becoming white noise. So just like a speed display on the side of the road, if it's left there for too long, drivers, motorists, won't regard it the same way. So how do we change the way we are providing reminders to users, to the end users, that helps to give them, hey, in this situation, be mindful. You're sending sensitive information. You should mark it. You should label it perhaps even encrypted, depending on the the recipient to whom you're sending. 
So complementing the one the the training that we do once per year with periodic refresher reminders, something that's a little more focused to this person's specific job. There was a HIMSS conference in December of 2016 during which one of the panelists described that it takes three months to change a habit, six months to change a behavior, 12 months to change a lifestyle. And here we're expecting people to change the way they use laptops and portable devices with one one-hour training event per year. And I'm speaking as a federal employee. That's my gateway. I'm, I'm required to complete right. this exam once a year as a condition of network access. Well, that's, that's unfair to expect that to sink in and influence someone's behavior on a regular basis. And these devices are part of our lifestyle. This is not something we casually pick up every six months. These are devices that contain our lives and they connect us with everything. So it's tough to change. Per your point, it's a lifestyle change. And the future of the hospital, as you might see if you, if you search this expression, the future of the hospital is in the home. Telehealth, telemedicine, in-home patient monitoring. More and more medical devices are smart. Whether they're connected, processing information, transmitting information, so we all have to, not just the employees of a healthcare organization like the military health system has over 200,000 employees, but we also need to empower the patients to be more mindful of the information to which they have access. Well, how are we as people, both our biggest threat and an asset to effective cybersecurity habits? It's kind of a weird paradox, right? Yes, it is. Our workforce is comprised of people who have been employed for 20, 30 years. What sort of computerized devices did we have 30 years ago? Now, I am certainly not saying that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I am not saying that. It is possible. <laughs> um, but I am saying that if we do not have consistent role models, at all levels, starting at leadership, the tone is set at the top. So Absolutely. if a healthcare organization does not have strong leadership engagement, strong examples set with reminders, then we will have people who do not see the importance of proper cyber hygiene, of behaving a certain way when they're interacting with the computers and the laptops. Now, conversely, uh, last year at Hims, I had the pleasure of seeing Dr. Jonah Berger. He was one of the keynote speakers. And he, in fact, was one of the inspirations to me to refocus the cybersecurity training and awareness efforts for which my office has some responsibility in the Defense Health Agency, to refocus the efforts on how we not just get the word out, but how we can ensure the word is sticking with people. And this traces back to a book that he wrote, I think it was titled Contagious. How do you get ideas to stick? And one of the things he reminded us is that the best form of marketing still today is by word of mouth. So the answer to your question is, we are at the same time the biggest risk, but the biggest asset. Because if one person 
were to share the benefits of having taken Servio's cybersecurity training course, I'm poking fun at myself, um, that can then lend others to pay more attention versus something posted on Facebook or a poster. Do you have any examples you can share of how you've applied that and have seen uh, a difference? Has, has it begun to stick yet or is it still too early? Um, personal examples and a reference example. Um, there's over 200,000 people in the uh, employees in the military health system, and I've been employed since roughly 2003. So I, I'm safe. I feel with some safety of a, uh, with some anonymity. I won't be referring to anybody by name. Um, I noticed that somebody was sending their meeting invite. It was an official meeting invite to a, a working meeting. They sent it to their personal account. When I asked the employee about this. They thought that it was innocuous. There was no sensitive information. There was nothing official being discussed. And probably one of the most, dan the, the da most dangerous combination of words that exist in anybody's area of responsibility is the following. It makes sense to me because they haven't vetted it with the people who are the subject matter experts. Right. I wouldn't deign to start speaking about acquisition or law, even though it might make sense to me if I read cliff notes on some book. So I, I had to explain to him or her that um, many people use a meeting invite to reply all and send emails. Why? Because it's convenient. We don't have to repopulate the recipients. And sometimes we might send an attachment to the meeting invite. Why? That's called a read ahead. This is business 101. Here's your agenda. And it can very quickly become something that is part of official business. It could include something that's sensitive. And some people would argue you shouldn't send sensitive information in the clear. It should be encrypted. So if somebody's using their personal email account, you wouldn't be able to encrypt it to them. But this ties back to the problem we experience. Not everybody is adhering to the cybersecurity policies. So why is it, why would it be fair for me to expect every user, remember, to encrypt the emails they send? Let's take care of situations before they contribute to greater risk to information. Besides which, what are we conveying for confidence we're health IT. We are a health IT organization. Why are we using a personal email account to conduct business? This is not really conveying a sense of confidence that we are providing the right IT to support our healthcare needs. So that's a that's like a, if you see something, say something. And I've done that a number of times over my career, and. I wonder if I'm getting a reputation because people, I, I don't see this very much anymore, at least not on, not on the emails that I'm on. But as another example, and this is not something that uh, the Defense Health Agency has been involved in, but um, I use this as, a, as, a, as an analogy, and I'll be speaking on this tomorrow morning. Um, in 2007, the Johns Hopkins Hospital had concern. I saw Dr. Peter Pronovost. He's one of the administrators of the Johns Hopkins Hospital. He presented at a military health system conference, and he shared that there was concerns in 2007 about 
hand hygiene compliance. Healthcare associated infections are results in approximately 90,000 fatalities a year. And it's widely accepted that hand hygiene compliance reduces the number of healthcare associated infections. So this is a very interesting situation because washing your hands really is preventative medicine 101. And everybody would think everyone does that. Everyone who's a healthcare provider washes their hands. What's equally interesting is the barriers to compliance that was reported. And they are skeptical attitude, lack of role models, lack of time, inconvenience because the hand washing station was located too far away. These are the examples that were given as to why people were not regularly washing their hands. Now those examples that I just gave you, copy paste them into a cybersecurity environment. We don't have good role models, we're skeptical, we don't have the time, and we're inconvenienced. Yes, it's not the hand washing, but the, the sentiment is the same. So, what do we do? We look at what the Johns Hopkins Hospital did to affect positive change in human behavior. Why? Because human behavior is somewhat universal. And if you can influence human behavior in one context, perhaps we can leverage what worked in another context, like cybersecurity. So we have to have strong role models who are engaged. We have to dispel the ignorance. We have to promote further beyond the one, one time a year training. And this is starting to work. This is the model that I've been focusing on to increase awareness and understanding of cybersecurity requirements. So role models, setting an example every day, and it will start to find its way through the culture. Slowly. Yes. There was a session earlier today on how to establish culture from the boardroom to the break room. One event, one dimension is not enough. Well, let's ask this of you. When we talk about cybersecurity, um, there are a lot of things that you always hear about, you know, the, the top topics of the day, the trends, the fears. Um, is there an elephant in the room that isn't being discussed in your, in your estimation? There's a couple of ways that I, I would answer this. And what I've been hearing people say is that we increase training and perhaps conduct spear phishing exercises. These all cost money and time. And there is a return. There is a positive return. Um, a number of folks have presented at HIMSS describing how the spear phishing exercises have directly led to reducing the number of incidents by which employees click on a link in an email. These are, these are great. These are to be celebrated. The elephant, to me, is hard to look at because people think too often we've checked the box. We've applied money. We've applied resources. We've done the training, spear phishing, and we even have more sophisticated IT. So we're good. And the problem is it does not address directly enough the behaviors, the behaviors that we have as humans 
that still compromises the IT or the information. And for a moment, I would, if I may, I would like to cite the, there's a 2016 Verizon data breach investigations report. And in this report, they, they, they assert, cyber criminals are continuing to exploit human nature as they rely on familiar attack patterns such as phishing. However, miscellaneous errors by end users of an organization took the top spot for security incidents. And what that tells me, I didn't need the report to tell me this. We will find a way, intentionally or unintentionally, to circumvent. Yes, we, I may not click a link in an email after being ostracized by my peers, <laughs> but that doesn't mean I won't accidentally forward an email to an unintended recipient in the clear and compromise a thousand records. That doesn't mean I won't print a record, bring it home, and lose the record whether it's electronic or paper, regardless of the medium, we still have to address how we are more sophisticated in our appreciation. So the elephant is not something you can clearly see, in my estimation. It's the elephant that people think is the solution. I've already given you a lot of money and a lot of resources to solve this problem. You're not asking for more money and resources, are you? So it's sort of a it's an elephant is churned on itself where it's not the problem that's obvious now it's the problem that now we can't see how the problem still remains it's it sounds like it's our ability or willingness to see ourselves as part of the problem and the solution and that it isn't just technology that's exactly right um i think for training to be effective first of all cybersecurity training one way to gauge whether it's effective is whether or not people retain the cybersecurity requirements when they need it. Not once a year while they're being watched, being graded, but throughout their daily use of IT, that it somehow sinks in. And for cybersecurity training to be effective, we need more than just effective cybersecurity training. Training checks a box. It's a federal requirement and a requirement under HIPAA. But how are we marketing? Um, stop, think, connect. It's a shame that people don't know this, this slogan, but it's, a, it's part of the, there's federal efforts to promote this awareness. Stop, think, connect. How are we improving the tailoring of training to be more educational so people learn and appreciate? These are some of the elements that have to come together to broadly look at the challenges that we face, which is the increasing number and sophistication of cybersecurity uh, breaches. Well, what we're fighting is since um, the Internet has become so available to people, I mean, it used to be something available to the military and educational institutions. And in the 90s, suddenly it was available to the masses. And it's been marketed to people, you know, instead of stop, think, connect, it's been connect, connect, connect. It's um, like we're rats that are just, you know, continually getting that food pellet and and satisfying our need for immediate gratification and that's a tough thing to retrain that's th this is a this is a huge 
uh, reversal, and it's going to take some time, right? Do you agree? I absolutely agree. And um, as I said, I think the, the more sophisticated that IT becomes, the more that we can rely upon it. Um, so maybe we can someday be more of a connect, connect, what did I just connect to? So we think after the fact. It's a starting place. But I would caution us too. Um, last week on NPR, there was a segment, unsafe driving leads to jump in highway deaths. This was striking for this discussion that we're having. The National Safety Council says more than 40,000 people were killed in traffic accidents last year. And this marks a 6% increase from last year. 94% of those fatal crashes were caused by human error. And those errors stemmed from speeding, alcohol, and distraction. And you know what the number one distraction was? People were looking at their phone texting. So why am I bringing this example? These are from cars that have had significant improvements in safety features built into them. Crash test sensors, etc. So I am not against innovation. I actually embrace IT innovation. We have to push for it. But if we myopically look at IT as solving the problem of human error, um, Kevin Mitnick will remind us that is a not a not a safe road for us to take and and people like kevin are always looking for that shortcut around whatever defenses you put up at least he used to you know back in the day um this is really a fascinating discussion and um i wish we had more time to continue this but i'll i'll wrap up with one last question is there one area in security that more people need to know about we talk about the internet and email and things like that. Is there something else out there that we don't hear about that people really need to know about? I have mixed thoughts on one area that uh, people should be more aware of in cybersecurity, partially because I think people are already inundated with so much in their daily lives. Absolutely. And for me to layer on top of what they're already burdened with, um, on top of decision fatigue, uh, the folks at NIST, the National Institute of Standard and Technology, they, they, I believe they coined the term security fatigue, that there are so many choices and so many options in cybersecurity that people are becoming fatigued in cybersecurity. So I think perhaps if I were to suggest something to folks, get a second opinion. If something makes sense to you, unless it's your area, unless you are the person who has that subject matter expertise, don't be afraid to ask somebody. And after you ask one person, maybe share that with somebody else. Again, word of mouth is how we get the word out. Very powerful. And we're hoping that the more we get messaging out, that somebody asking somebody else for their thoughts that will start to raise the level of awareness. But it does come back to us to make sure that we are empowering people with enough information so that way when they share information, they're getting 
the right information. A lot of people will ask their friends on Facebook, what do you think about this book? And their friends say, yes, yes, no, yes. Three out of four said yes, I'll get the book. Well, how are we empowering people, their coworkers, to be more savvy so they can help each other? That way, it's not just Servio's cybersecurity training that I have to go take, which is interrupting my daily work, but it's a sense of we're sharing information that's augmenting our daily work. It's more of a community. Yes, exactly. Versus a thou shalt. Well, I've really enjoyed the conversation and um, I truly wish that we had more time, but that is all the time we have today. Uh, Servio Medina is COO of the Cybersecurity Policy Branch at the Defense Health Agency. Servio, thank you so much for joining us on Code Red. Thank you, Rod. It was a pleasure. I'd like to thank our guest for this episode of Code Red, Servio Medina. He's the COO, Cybersecurity Policy Branch, at the U.S. Defense Health Agency. Cybersecurity is about so much more than knowing which bits to flip or which product to install. Our habits, our behaviors, and our lifestyles are partially the embodiment of our knowledge of and attitude towards security. How we learn, how we teach, and how we act upon our knowledge both as individuals and as a community. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Send comments and suggestions for future topics and guests to coderead at hymns.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hims members are invited to join our cybersecurity community. You'll get access to regular presentations by respected professionals in the field, and you'll receive our monthly cybersecurity environmental scans. Code Red is a production of Hims North America. The series is co-produced by Adam Baser. Kelly Lippitt is our story editor and guest relations manager. I'm Rod Pihowski. See you next time on Code Red. Intrusion detected. Code Red.